I've been playing outdoors since I was a kid, standing by the front door at around two years old, hollering, side, side, trying to get my mom to let me go play outside. Now, after 30 plus years working in the outdoor business, I'm dropping insider conversations every week with brand leaders, guides, marketers, CEOs, and others that make the outdoor business a trillion dollar juggernaut that drives product innovation, revenue, and public policy for everything outdoors. I'm Rick Says. Welcome to the Outdoor Biz Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by travel agent extraordinaire Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies. Mark is off uh, gallivanting. I guess that's my new favorite word. Anytime you guys are traveling, I'm just going to say gallivanting around Europe. We gallivant. But he left us already, (laughs) Sean. He left us. It's like uh, in Jurassic Park. He left us. He left us. Yeah. No, he'll be back. Don't worry. Yeah. Two more shows with, uh, with good old Mark. I'll be off next week cruising down to the Mexican Riviera. Finally using one of my uh, carnival, my last carnival cruise, the free one that they gave me from the match a year ago. So uh, that'll be nice and enjoyable and getting the planning a lot of uh, other cruises for next year. I can't seem to get off the cruise bandwagon because I have so many free cruises that I have to take advantage of from like the status matches in Atlantic City. I still have two MSC cruises and then we have the MTM Diamond Cruise. And I had initially messed up the dates and I I was trying to squeeze an an MSC cruise in next to the Diamond Cruise. And I thought that they were there was like a day overlap for the ship I wanted, so it wasn't going to work. But then I went back and looked at the dates again, and the ship I want actually leaves the same day as the MTM Diamond Cruise. So I could take the cruise a week before, get off one ship, get on the other. So I think I'm going to do that. And uh, that's MSC's second newest ship, although it just debuted this year. They debuted two new ships this year. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's the That's the ship, Joe, that has the the robot arm, Kuka arm ride, like they have at Harry Potter at Universal, or that's the the ride they have on the ship. Some of these ships are getting crazy. Like uh, Royal Caribbean's Wonder of the Seas had their inaugural party or whatever, and then they've been slowly releasing things about the icon of the seas. Like these ships are like, I mean, they've always been giant cities, but you know, these last two royal ships, they really look like cities. And as a quick aside, you're not the only. MTM Diamond Cruiser, who's getting straight on to another cruise. So I'll let you find out who that is when you get on the cruise. But but yeah, it's crazy what they've been doing with these ships. So we'll see how it goes. And not completely related, but I'm sure you saw the news that some cruise line was building a ship for like 8,000 people or something for the Asian market. Uh, it was called the Global Dream. And that company went bankrupt. And Disney Cruise Line bought that for pennies on the dollar. And so this ship is like one that they didn't design and it'll come out in a couple of years. It'll be interesting to see because they're not going to have 8,000 people on it, but they're going to have, I think five or 6,000, like a ton of people like Disney cruises are generally like less crowded in the sense that there are less people who are supposed to be on board. I think they top out at like four, 4,500 people. And so it'll be interesting to see this cruise ship that they bought. And I guess they're going to, it wasn't finished. So they're just going to like, Disneyfy everything on the inside, but obviously the outside, like the hull and stuff, the size of the cruise was already done. I didn't know if you had thoughts on uh, that purchase. I'm sure like a cruise nerd like you was definitely on top of that news, at least. Well, I'm glad you asked, Joe, because I do have thoughts on this. Uh, yeah, the Global Dream was part I was, was hoping part... for that, yes. <laughs> uh, Global Dreams was part of a set of cruise lines owned by Genting, which is the same company that owns like Resorts World and 
uh, a lot of stuff around the world and based out of Hong Kong. And they had two of those ships under construction. The first one was just uh, pretty early on, so they scrapped it through the bankruptcy proceedings. And then it took quite a long time, almost a year, to find a buyer for the Global Dream. And it had just been sitting there, as you said, like the hole is finished, but the inside, none of the inside spaces were done. And this was really Bob Chapek's last big thing he did before he got fired. And uh, apparently some of the rumors I saw was it wasn't very popular among the Disney Cruise Line executives because they didn't feel that this size of ship fit in with their brand. But you're right, that ship was supposed to hold 8,000 people and it was designed specifically for the Chinese market. And the way that they were doing that was with smaller cabins and also putting four berths in every cabin. You know, on some cruise ships, some of the cabins have the ability to have three or four passengers. On that ship, it was going to be everyone. And the other thing about the Global Dream that was interesting was they were going to have the largest theme park at sea. Uh, they The whole back of that ship was going to have a roller coaster, the same type of roller coaster that Carnival has on their ships, and a bunch of other stuff that uh, it doesn't look like Disney's going to do through their uh, through their renderings that they've shown, but we don't really know a whole lot about the details. The strangest thing about that ship in the renderings that Disney showed was it looks nothing like any of the other Disney ships. I mean, they put the paint job on it, uh, but it, it definitely, the design language is very different, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they reconfigure the spaces. I'm guessing that they're going to reconfigure some of the cabins. It, we don't really know how kind of developed those spaces were on the inside, but it's an interesting thing. And Disney is going to probably keep this ship out of the U.S. and probably keep it in the Asian market. So it's really smart considering the popularity of Tokyo Disneyland, Shanghai Disneyland, Hong Kong Disneyland. If they keep it in Asia, there's a lot of business there, despite it you know, being a little slower opening up in many countries there, especially China. So I think that it's probably a good move for Disney, although it's going to be a different experience for people on board, having never been on a Disney cruise yet, but uh, a different experience from everything I've read. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that the style thing. It really feels like these cruise lines, you can just see a cruise ship from a distance and you kind of, once you get used to them, you know what cruise line that is. And so it'll be interesting to see how they do it. It's it, it, it's like, I don't know, I was trying to think of like an airline analogy, but it's different with airlines, right? Because airlines, they're all buying their planes from, or the most the majority of their planes from Airbus or Boeing, right? I mean, Mark's jokes is that it's always an Airbus, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like the, the actual physical setup of the planes all look the same and only gets different when you get inside and obviously has different paint jobs. Whereas cruise ships, they're a lot more customized and you can tell what it is. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. And the only other thing I'll say is the rumors that I saw about how much they paid, it, it was it was like, I saw numbers as low as like 10% of what it should have cost or whatever. So I don't know, like you said, it was Chapek's last hurrah. So either he saddled Bob Iger with this albatross or it'll end up working out in the end and he can, um, I don't know, take pride in that. I think it's a good idea for Disney. It's going to be a different product. Uh, there's going to be more people. It's going to probably be more crowded, although that's sort of the way the industry has gone. Even you pointed out on an earlier episode, Disney cutting back elevators in order to put more space. And there's definitely more complaints about Disney's newest ship, The Wish, compared to some of their older ships from what I've heard anecdotally, although there are some nice things about that ship as well. But having heard, you know, different podcasters, different people who've been on a lot of Disney cruises, most of them say that they would rather go on the older ships 
than the wish after having gone on it if they had to choose which is interesting but yeah your point the ships keep getting bigger and through a lot of cruises this year i've really determined that i like the smaller ships you know they don't always have all the bells and whistles but we talked in detail about my terrible mardi gras experience and that's not really what i enjoy about cruising i don't want to be stuck on a boat you know shoulder to shoulder with people facilities overrun for a week so you know i like kind of looking at the cruise lines that are sort of prioritizing space, but it's all economics, right? You have less cabins, you're going to charge more per passenger. And that's obviously what Disney's doing as their prices are just insane. And Disney doesn't have a trouble filling up any of their ships. So it's all supply and demand, but no doubt Disney cruises are more expensive. Royal Caribbean on a mainline basis, their cruises are more expensive than say Carnival because their ship's have, you know, more attractions and probably a little bit of a higher quality. So, you know, you get what you pay for. But uh, I think the cruise industry is coming back pretty strong and uh, you're going to continue to see the growth. It was a booming industry before COVID. People don't really understand that, but tons of investment money coming in, new ships coming online every year, dozens of new ships. And uh, this whole industry is just expanding and there's still a lot of opportunity in other countries and other areas. And I'm happy for that because... I'm kind of tired of going to the same Caribbean ports. I don't really care about going to Nassau anymore or some of those other ones. So I'm excited to see more exotic itineraries coming. More ships means that they can go to more places in the world. And that's more where I'm looking to interface with the cruise industry going forward instead of just hopping on a ship out of Florida and going down to the Bahamas. Yeah, I hear that. I am Even though I haven't gone on nearly as many cruises as you, I, I'm pretty much over going on cruises for cruises sake you know i think the idea of exploring new areas is fun i've talked to like i'm torn on stuff like european cruises because a lot of the european cities i'd love to spend more time in however you know when you're on a cruise you only have like 12 hours in each city but if you think about travel as like a long game cruises seem to me more appealing as a way to get that first taste because I I've argued with my wife for years about, I always want to like return to the same city a second time when I know it better um, because I feel like I know what, you know, what I'm looking for, what I like, what I enjoy and cruises may be a great way. I haven't tried it yet. I mean, Alaska is different, right? I'm not going to go to, um, I'm not going to go back to Skagway. You know, it's a tiny town, right? I'm not going to go back <laughs> and visit that town of, 5,000 people again, but cruises might be a good way to get that first taste of a city so that when you go back, um, you know, it's not completely unfamiliar to you. Yeah. I was a little torn years ago. We did 21 day back to back Mediterranean cruises. So a 10 and an 11 day itinerary. And it was right during the Arab spring. And the only overlap on those two itineraries was Egypt. And they had to cancel those ports and half the ship canceled. So we got a really good deal and 21 days on a cruise ship in Europe. It's a bit much, but we got to see a lot of cool places like Olympia, Greece and Athens, Greece and, you know, Ephesus and Turkey and Istanbul and some other cool places that I never would go probably. I land smaller kind of ports and stuff. And yeah, cruising in Europe is, is a lot of fun because of the cultural aspect to it. But I've also been a lot, you know, on mainland Europe traveling. So I've seen a lot of places there too. But I, I think you're absolutely right that it's a great way to get a taste of stuff and it's well beyond just you know getting the sun and going to the beaches and stuff like that that you get in the caribbean there are ways to to do it and then there's cruises in asia that are going to 
all throughout Southeast Asia, Japan, China. There's cruises out of Australia. One of the offers I have, and I wanted to tell people to go check your offers with Carnival if you've done a match in the past or something else, is they've moved a ship back to Australia for this year that they're kind of having a trouble kind of filling up. It's sailing out of Brisbane. And I think I'm going to take it because I got another free cruise offer from them. And, uh, you know, it goes to like New Caledonia and, you know, Noumea and some of them go to Fiji. So, you know, it's another way to kind of see something a little bit more exotic or they also have the Great Barrier Reef cruises, stuff like that. So there's opportunities all over the world. And uh, if you want to know more about how I've gotten free cruises this year, check out our cruise hacking episode that I did because I talked a lot about it. The only other one I didn't mention on there was I do have the potential to go on a free Virgin cruise this year. I just have to figure out the dates because virgins adults only and uh getting a babysitter for a week isn't the easiest thing for jasmine and i to go but i'm really hoping we can pull that off because i want to try virgin but so many opportunities for discounts for free cruises so check out that episode and kind of open your eyes to to how you can save on this stuff and if it makes sense for you now joe i wanted to talk about jet blue because jet blue sort of dropped a bombshell this week in announcing an entirely new jet an entirely new true blue program that's going to debut sometime in the spring next year they didn't give us an exact date it really kind of overhauls what they do it changes sort of the way you earn status they introduce something called tiles which is uh quite interesting and then other elite levels it sort of reminds me of you know what we saw with ihg earlier this year where they're giving you they're almost gamifying status and perks and stuff like that I know you're a JetBlue loyalist. You fly them a lot. I don't fly them nearly as much. Maybe you can take us through some of the changes and then let us know what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I think the quick version is that this whole tiles thing, it just combines how you can earn your status. So it used to be, you know, you spend X amount of money and you got mosaic status or what uh, I always like to do is, you know, you spend $50,000 on the JetBlue card and then you'll get mosaic status well the way it's going to be now is every hundred dollars you spend counts as one tile and then every thousand uh, sorry every hundred dollars you spend on JetBlue, like on their flights or whatever um and in, i think it also includes like if you buy drinks and stuff maybe actually i don't know about that so scratch that but every hundred dollars you spend on their flights counts as a tile every thousand dollars you spend on the credit card counts as a tile and now there are four mosaic tiers um, and each tier takes 50 tiles to earn. So Mosaic 1 is 50 tiles. So if you did the same $50,000 in spending as you d- as I did on the JetBlue card this year, you know, you'd be Mosaic 1. Mosaic 2 is 100 tiles. Mosaic 3 is 150. Mosaic 4 is 200. The kind of big change for me is that Mosaic 1 at 50 tiles, I no longer get to choose even more space seats when I book the ticket. I can still get them at check-in if they're still available, but I can't get that when I book the ticket. Mosaic 2 allows you to do that. That's at 100 tiles. Um, and then Mosaic 3 and Mosaic 4 have like these mint certificates. It's not clear what those things are yet, so I won't speak to them, but it just is, you know, one complaint people had was that there were no mint upgrades for Mosaics. Well, now you have to spend three times as much, but if you do that, then you can get a mint upgrade. So that's kind of the bare bones of the program, the new program. Now, the one thing that has really changed, and um, I was following Seth Miller because he was kind of processing this in his head online, like publicly. The thing that has really changed is that 
on your way to get to Mosaic 1, every 10 tiles, you get to choose a new perk without having status. So, you know, the perks that you get to choose from are early boarding, which is group B, not mosaic boarding, but still better, uh, as long as you don't buy blue basic. Priority security, uh, a free drink, a two times bonus if you buy a JetBlue's vacation package or a 5,000 point bonus. And so as you get to mosaic one, you're gonna get all of these. You can choose them one at a time. And so this is a way to reward part-time flyers of JetBlue. And so I feel like overall, for me, it's going to hurt me as a mosaic because if I want the same experience that I have now as a mosaic, I'm going to need to get 100 tiles, which is either 100,000 on my JetBlue card, which I don't know or I don't think I want to spend, or a combination of flying and spend. Um, And it's nice that you can combine the fly and spend, but the numbers are so high now, um, I'm not as into that. So we'll see how it goes. My favorite thing about Mosaic is actually being able to same day change for free. Uh, I often will book a cheaper flight, connecting flight. And if I know that I'm not going at a busy time, I'm pretty confident, especially if it's just me flying, that I'll be able to same day change to a better flight. And so that's not going to go away with Mosaic 1. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this shakes out. They haven't released a ton of the details. One last thing as I uh, finish my monologue here, because I was wondering about it. This is supposed to go live in spring of 2023, and I was wondering whether, you know, am I going to be Mosaic 1? Am I going to be Mosaic 2 when that happens? Well, what they're going to do is they're going to take how much you've, how many tiles you've earned in 2023, compare that to how many tiles you would have earned in 2022, and whichever one of those is higher, that's the status you're going to get. JetBlue Mosaic, to their credit, they actually called me because I DM'd them about it, and I got this random call from a guy who talked to me about it. And then I asked him some questions and he followed up again with email. So that was pretty good customer service there. But if you're in a situation like me, important thing to know, your 2022 tile calculation is going to be either your card spend or your airline spend. They're not gonna combine it like they will for 2023. It's like so confusing. But bottom line, if I want Mosaic 2, when this program goes live, I need to spend $100,000 on my JetBlue credit card or essentially $50,000 more in the next three weeks, which um, I don't know if you need some uh, reselling help, Sean, but I don't think I'm going to get there in the next two weeks. So yeah, that's that's uh, probably more news than you need to know. <laughs> what do you think of the program, Sean? Yeah, it's uh, very complicated. I mean, I mean, you just going through it, it seems like you're almost speaking a foreign language. And I get why they do this, right? They want to drive spend and they definitely want to drive spend on their credit card and Also, they want to reward the customers who spend the most on the airline. And so you get this. I do like the fact that they have sort of perks for, you know, every 10 tiles. Like you said, the early boarding, you know, a 5,000 point bonus, other stuff. So there is some value there, even if you're not getting mosaic or spending the money that you need. If you get 10 tiles, you get something. And I think that's sort of a trend in the industry. But I mean, they made this very complicated. And uh, to your point... There's just a lot of moving parts there and they don't have a firm date. So I wonder, you know, how long it's going to take them to get this launched. We saw IHG earlier this year do something similar where they like leaked out details of the new IHG rewards program, which has very similar sort of feels to it with ability to earn things even before you get, you know, some of their higher statuses. And uh, we've seen kind of an evolution of loyalty programs in the last few years, you know, American with loyalty points. And I expect we'll continue to see these site, these types of changes that incentivize spend 
but also give you little kind of uh, carrots along the way in order to make your flying experience better. So yeah, I, I guess it's okay. I'm not a True Blue Mosaic member, so I don't really have a huge impact here. I do think the ability to get the mint upgrades is nice. To your point, you got to get to a pretty high level to do that, but mint is a pretty good product. So that upgrade is definitely valuable. And I think, uh, you know, I'm glad that there's a path for that. But I think for the average person, the best part of this is probably getting some of the perks at the lower tile levels. And uh, I think it's weird that in 2022, they're not going to combine the spend to figure out your calculations. Usually when they launch a program like this, they're pretty generous with what they do kind of with lookbacks. But I guess this time they're not doing that. So, yeah, I, I think overall it's okay. I think it's okay. I don't think it's a huge deal for me, but uh, I'm glad that they're adding more to it. But I'm also kind of sad with the way we're going that these programs are becoming even more complicated. And I don't know that the average person is going to follow all of it. It's the Disney way, right? You make things more complicated and there's just like breakage all along the way. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw in a random Disney reference for the second time this episode out of nowhere, but I, I, I do think this is the way things are going. Like by making things more complicated, I mean... I do think it is true, and I don't think this is giving JetBlue too much credit, giving people small perks just for not even loyalty, but like, you know, if you imagine, like if you're flying from Boston, I think of like random coworkers I have, when they fly during a break time, they easily spend six or $700 on JetBlue for a round trip flight to home, or if they're going to go to the Caribbean or something, they're going to spend like a thousand dollars and then boom, right there, they've earned enough tiles to get one of those perks. And so even if they fly JetBlue once, you know, it's smart on JetBlue's part because these infrequent flyers are going to get these perks and then maybe they're going to want to fly JetBlue an extra time than they would have. Maybe they would have only flying, flown once, but maybe they fly a second time because they get priority boarding or whatever. So it's smart business, but um, ultimately don't love it for the consumer. Definitely don't love it for me. Um, but you know, we'll see how it shakes out. And like you said, we need to see more details of this super complicated program. I do think that the tiles aren't going to be super complicated when they actually come out, right? It's pretty simple. Spend a hundred dollars, earn a tile, spend a thousand dollars on the credit card, earn a tile. And then your tiles just add up just the same way. Like you like earn nights or whatever, and hopefully they have a good tracker, but we'll see how it actually goes in practice. Yeah, it's just like a modern version of the punch card system, right? Buy nine sodas, get the 10th free, or you get something back uh, as you spend. So it's it's not much different than that uh, in terms of, of what they're doing. And you're right, it does sort of simplify things in some ways. You know, you spend $1,000, you get a tile. $1,000 in your credit card, you get a tile. You spend the 100 on the on the flights and stuff, you get a tile. You can also do it with JetBlue Vacations, and they have other ways in their ecosystem to earn tiles through spend. But yeah, it should be fairly easy there, but... I feel like tracking this, adding other levels, it does, you know, make it a little bit more difficult for people. Although I think, I don't know, and I'll ask your opinion on this, Joe. I think at this point in time, people, consumers, not us, not the kind of miles and points crazy people, but the average consumers are becoming more used to these complicated programs or to at least navigating rules within different programs because rewards programs are in every aspect of our life. And, you know, every store you go into, they're trying to get you signed up. So... Well, I think like maybe 20 years ago, this would have been a lot or all of these changes to these various programs would have been a lot for people. I think now the whole ecosystem is more mature and consumers are, you know, more able to adapt to this stuff and they do like getting little perks along the way. So I think it's good for JetBlue and what they did. 
I still uh, I still like what AA did with loyalty points. I think that's a a really interesting thing. And I based on my anecdotal evidence, just watching people, I'm in some Facebook groups and stuff like that. It's driven a ton of spend for AA on their credit cards, uh, people using their portal, you know, just different ways. I mean, it's really gotten people invested into the ecosystem. People just spending to get status where they never would have flown enough to get it before. So. Uh, yeah, it, it's that's the direction that we're going, and uh, it's interesting to see this one. Yeah, I think you're totally right, and you know, people know that I've been like playing video games since I was like five or whatever. We are the gener, we are the first generation that like played video games, and then now like the gener, all the generations after us, they're used to not only the gamification in video games, but like you said, the gamification in anything. I'll give an example: my wife, who could not care less about any of these types of things started playing this game on her phone called Pikmin Bloom. It's like one of those games that you play it as you walk, so it encourages you to walk, unlike like closing your rings on Apple Watch or whatever. But you like, there's all these complicated things, like you plant flowers and you get seeds and like things are born. And my wife, who, like I said, could not care less about this and could not care less about most video games, has figured out all the rules of Pikmin Bloom, this random game. And so like, I think... Companies have found that consumers, just people these days, are used to learning these obscure rules for obscure games, you know, whether it be Pikmin Bloom or I guess Words with Friends isn't that confusing, but like, you know, all these random games that people play on their phones. And so they're just taking advantage of it and it gets people hooked in, like you said. Um, And so, like I said, great business. I don't know what it says about us as consumers, um, because obviously they know that we've tolerated these things and are willing to do it. But they're just going where the market's telling them to go. It's all about that dopamine hit, right? I mean, it is that dopamine hit. You get that dopamine hit. You got that free early boarding. Yeah, I'm I'm having starting to have some serious concerns about uh, my son's addiction to these kinds of things. He like keeps borrowing my phone to just go walk steps so he can like earn stuff. I don't know. They know how to manipulate us. Yeah, (laughs) we're just animals, Joe. We're all just animals trying to trying to work in a 21st century life with brains that were designed for like hunter, you know, being a hunter and gatherer or whatever. I don't know, but uh, it's, it's interesting and, and it works, right? It works. Give us little perks along the way. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel good about your brand. It makes us feel good about what we're doing, our decision to fly JetBlue, our decision to, to be invested in this company. And I feel like it's just becoming more mature, right? As they figure out what works and doesn't. And that's just sort of where the whole world is. And uh, yeah, JetBlue is no different than that. I did want to talk to you real quick about Hilton Aspire card because there was a rumor this week, and this is just a rumor from Reddit, but I did write about it because it reminded me of how valuable this card is. The Aspire card is the premium Hilton card from American Express. It has a $450 annual fee currently. The rumor was that they're going to raise it by $100 or so. And again, that's just a rumor. But in kind of writing about that and reading it, it just reminded me of how valuable that card really is. And also because I know a lot of people out there and myself included, I've had diamond status thanks to the Aspire card since 2019. I don't have the Aspire card anymore, but because of COVID, they kept extending the status. And I spent 26 nights at Hilton's this year. So traveled to enough Hilton's where I use the status quite often. So I'm looking at how I'm going to get it back next year that it's going to expire finally. And so I think one of my options is either my wife could get the Aspire card and have it, or I could just upgrade one of my existing Hilton cards to it. And, you know, Aspire for what you get with the annual fee, you get like 
$250 Hilton Resort credit, which is on your card member year, but you also get a couple hundred dollar travel credit similar to the platinum cards that is per calendar year. And so it kind of got me interested in what if I upgrade now? Can I triple dip that credit in the next year? You know, get the, the travel credit now, get it in January, get it again next year or in 2024, other things like that. The other kind of interesting thing that with the Aspire card is that when you get the card, you get a free night certificate. And in the past, when people would upgrade, they would get the free night certificate too. And then you get it again when the annual fee hits and it renews. And there's other things like priority pass and stuff like that. But for me, I think upgrading my current uh, Surpass card to Aspire makes a lot of sense. Get me the status, get those travel credits, and that'll pretty much offset any of my cost. And then some of the other benefits sort of pay for themselves. The free night, of course, is so valuable. Uh, like I talked about on the previous show, I used my recently used my free nights at the Waldorf Cabo, which was like $900 a night. Earlier this year, I stayed at the Conrad in Manhattan in New York City for, that was like another $700 a night hotel for free. So those free night certificates are so valuable. I have to think the annual fee on this card is going to go up, but even if it does, it's probably worth it. But for a lot of people with expiring diamond status, if you have the need for it, now's the time to start looking at this card, I think, whether it be an upgrade path or getting it new. I think the new offer is 150,000 Hilton points right now, plus a free night, plus all the credits for a $450 annual fee. Personally, that makes a ton of sense for me. Yeah, I think in your situation, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the thing that I've realized since I no longer have an Aspire card is that I need to be organized enough to know what my travel is going to be like for any given year in order to like, cause I feel like at some point in the next couple of years, I will upgrade back to an Aspire, but I want to time it to be with a year that, you know, I'm going to be doing a lot of travel in Europe actually overseas in Hilton's because that's where I feel like diamond status really comes through the most domestically, you know, it's, it's hit or miss. Um, and so, you know, I, f I find that since we don't have a lot of travel planned, I'm not tempted by the Aspire right now, but it's one of those things. It's always in the back of my mind. Um, you know, maybe that's something I should get in the future. And I totally agree with you, Sean. I don't know how much I'd be comfortable with them moving the annual fee up, but if they move it up by like $100 or so, I still think it's definitely worth it for someone who's traveling it to Hilton a few times a year. And it isn't out of the realm of possibility for them to raise the fee. In fact, the $450 annual fee is pretty low compared to their other premium cards. We know the Platinum cards are up to $695. And I think the Bonvoy Brilliant is, what, $600, $595 right now? So it's coming in lower than their other premium offerings. So we'll see what they what they end up doing. Nonetheless, you're absolutely right. Diamond status in the U.S. is not a whole lot, but it is something, right? Because you do get that property credit now instead of the breakfast. So if you are staying, that can add up. And especially since you're not locked into breakfast, you can use it for drinks or other things on property. And then internationally, you're looking at pretty good upgrades usually, especially like in Asia. I've had really good success. Europe, not as much, but even in Europe, club lounge access and and other stuff. Although, to be fair, you can get some of that with gold, with uh, with lesser cards and stuff. So that's all in the platinum as well. So you know, it is a it is a decision. But I think between all the the benefits, the credits, and everything else, for me, upgrading right now to keep my diamond status that I've had makes a lot of sense. And 
I think for other people it might as well. And then if you haven't had the card, just a reminder to go look at it, see what it would mean for you. See if you can maximize those credits and what your value would be in the first year getting the sign-up bonus and, and everything else. And then you can always downgrade after a year or just evaluate what you're going to do. Some people will want to keep it. And as we suggest in this hobby, you get a card and then after the year when it comes up, you see, okay, what is my value going forward? Because that value calculation changes when you're not getting a sign-up bonus anymore. And uh, yeah, just wanted to talk about that because it was an interesting rumor. Maybe true, maybe not, but it made me think either way. So the real world stuff for me made sense there. And another cool thing this week that uh, happened was Amazon released even more pay with points promos. And this is something that happens all throughout the holiday season. So it's not a huge like surprise or you know something people should go run out to do. But it seems like they're retargeting accounts quite often now. And for example, I just got a 40% off and a 50% off coupon for using membership rewards on accounts that previously had 15% off. And throughout this holiday season, I've had some accounts that have gotten the offers twice or three times and also similar around Prime Day. And so the links don't actually change. We have a whole article on the site uh, actually where I talked about what I'm using it for and everything else. In the past, I would buy Best Buy gift cards and then just sell them. And that worked pretty good. And earlier this year, I used the kind of similar thing. I bought Best Buy gift cards, but then bought a television that I wanted, which, you know, it's always nice to use this for personal stuff. But then I kind of got inspired by Benji this week and bought some Uber gift cards. And I thought that was a pretty good use of it. Benji had posted in the Diamond Group about how he was buying Uber gift cards with the deal, which kind of inspired me to go check again. And I had checked these accounts just a week before, checked them, and they had brand new 50% off on one account, up to $80 savings, 40% off up to $60 savings on another account. So uh, I ended up getting $310 worth of Uber gift cards for $170. So that's like a 45% discount on Uber, which is uh, pretty amazing. Only sort of downside with that is if you do have Uber gift cards on your account, the Amex credits that you get aren't used until after you use your Uber gift cards. So either load them to different accounts. That's what I'm going to do. Load them to my wife's account and my account gets all the Amex credits. But yeah, it's just another kind of reminder to check your accounts on Amazon. You only need to use one membership reward or they also have Chase and City Deals. So I'll, we'll put a link in the description to our article that has all the links that you can check. I mean, I, I've probably in the last six months between the Prime Days and the holiday deals, I've probably saved six, $700 on, on gift cards. And over the years, it's been thousands. And I have a lot of Amazon accounts. You know, everybody in my household has one. I have several businesses that have them. And so that just kind of makes it easier to get targeted to. Do they normally email those or do you see it like when you're at checkout? Like what, you know, how, how does one know um, without like having to go search for it? The best way to do it is honestly to use the links on Miles to Memories or once you get the link once, just save the link and, and go back. Because like for the membership rewards deal, the link hasn't changed for a while. So you can keep checking it. Sometimes when you're shopping, it will pop up and say, save, you know, save 50% with, by using MX membership rewards or whatever. You'll get a banner on a page, but that doesn't always happen. These accounts that I just got the 50% off and 40% off, it didn't happen. So I didn't see any banners anywhere. I just manually clicked the link that I have. And, and honestly, I just do the same thing I'm saying. I just go to miles to memory. I have that post and I just go to the post and I click through. Obviously we have an affiliate link. You don't have to use our links, but I'm just saying that that's been the easiest way for me. So I don't have to remember much of anything. I just use that post to kind of keep clicking and we update that post as it goes along. 
But once you have a link, whether it be organically on your account or you find it from a site like ours or somewhere else, then you can just keep using it to check. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty lucrative and you can buy third-party gift cards, not Amazon gift cards. Some of the times it's been working to use an Amazon gift card. So for example, you can use one membership rewards point and then pay the rest with an Amazon gift card. People have been shut down in the past for using Amazon gift cards to buy third-party gift cards. So I definitely don't recommend doing that. What I do is I just redeem one point, which is the minimum you can do. And then the rest of the charge goes onto the card that's linked to the account, the membership rewards card that's linked to the account. So it's pretty easy. And there is an article on the site that I did kind of walking through this and me using it on Uber gift cards. And uh, yeah, 45% off Uber should come in handy through all of our travels. And that's really what I'm trying to do, you know, trying to to make it a benefit to myself, as nice as it is to to take it in the business and sell the gift cards because I have that whole ecosystem with the ability to sell on raise and stuff like that. It's also nice to like just get discounts on my on what I'm already doing. So I was nice. Uh, thanks to Benji for kind of giving me that idea. I had obviously heard it before, but wasn't thinking about it. And yeah, good times. There's tons of other gift cards too. So figure out there's ability to get groceries and gas and pretty much anything else that you can think of. That's a good use. And yeah, I think I am definitely, at least when it comes to gift cards, much more in the, like you, let's just save some money. Um, I don't, I don't have the time to do all the arbitrage anymore. So yeah, it gets, uh, it gets complicated and you know, it, there's been times where I've been overloaded, right? So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do this and then I'll, I'll just put it off. Cause I have this offer on a few accounts and then I want to buy the best buy cards and then I got to sell them. And then I just sort of put it off and this just allows me to do it. And Uber I like because you can just load it to your account. You don't have to keep track of it. And uh, yeah, less less tracking overall is always nice. But anytime you have gift cards, you should probably have a spreadsheet where you keep track of them as opposed to sort of relying on uh, on remembering or having emails and things like that. So that's just another good bit of advice. When I have any gift cards that I'm keeping long term, I put them in a spreadsheet. I have some for business and some for personal, and I just have them there because I find that sometimes I forget about them. So having them on the spreadsheet, I see them. And then even if I have forgotten about them, when I do rediscover them, it's super easy because the number's there and, and everything, and I can just uh, I can just use it. So pretty good stuff, pretty good deals. I'm sort of at the point in December, and this usually happens about this time in December where I'm so overloaded from deals. Um, obviously, I'm buying a lot for my reselling business but I've slowed down a lot the last week. I basically get to a point where I hit a wall and my brain just can't take any more of it. And I feel like I'm pretty close to that right now and gonna focus towards the end of the year stuff and, and finish it out. Do you ever get like that where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Like one day I'm there, I'm analyzing a thousand different things and then the next day my brain just doesn't wanna do it anymore. Just, I started kind of setting stuff up for my taxes, my 2022 taxes. And yes, I think I got to that point without even knowing it because I realized I don't think I resold a single thing this year. I might have bought like a couple, a couple things that cost for friends. Um, but yeah, so definitely in the simplifying my life um, stage of, uh, you know, my growth. You know, I'm too old for this. You know what? Is that is that what or maybe it is? not or maybe or maybe not old, old enough. Maybe not old enough because I know some of the best hackers are already, you know, retired from real life. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy thing to get excited about 
paying with points on Amazon, but this is just a deal that I've just had so much fun with over the years. I can't believe how often they retarget and then how often I get, I don't get them across every account. Like every account I have right now has 15% off and I don't do that. I just leave those, let those go. But every single one of my accounts, all my business accounts, all my personal accounts has been targeted in one way or the other this year and several accounts several times. And it just adds up. And like I said, using it for gift cards, finding a personal use for it, places you shop anyway, getting 40 or 50% off makes a, a ton of sense, especially when they're giving you up to $60 off on the 40% or up to $80 off on the 50%. Yeah, I almost cried when I got that 50%. I hadn't had one of those in a while. I had had 40%, but anyway, I'm nerding out on that, which probably means that we're getting uh, here towards the end of the show. And I won't be here next week. I'll be on that cruise, as I said, heading down to Cabo, Puerto Vallarta, and Mazatlan. I'm excited to go to Mazatlan because I've never been there. I've been on several Mexican Riviera cruises, but back about 10 years ago, a lot of the cruise lines canceled Mazatlan because there was some stuff going on there. And uh, so I haven't been back. So that's a new port for me. Cabo, I was just there at the at the Waldorf and spent some time in Cabo. So we'll probably stay on the ship. And Puerto Vallarta is one of my favorite ports. One of my favorite Mexican cities, if you've never been there. Incredible city. Just an awesome place to visit. I've been there both on like vacation and several times off cruise ships. So uh, when I get back, uh, maybe in a couple weeks, we'll we'll talk about that. And then so it'll be you and Mark alone next week. And then Mark's final show in a couple weeks. Christmas week, we'll, uh, we'll celebrate the several years of doing this podcast, the three of us. And then starting beginning of January, have some really fun stuff including knowing Disney with you and Leslie from Disney Deciphered. I'm going to talk to Jasmine, my wife, as kind of go over our whole backstory and how we've been traveling around the world with kids for 15 years now. It's crazy. I don't feel like I'm old enough. Crazy, I've been uh, backpacking and doing all this crazy stuff. You have an adult now. Yeah. You, know, you have uh, an adult child. You know, Not even barely an adult. What, second or third grade? I mean, to you, he's never going to be an adult, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, he's six years old when he sold everything back in 2007 and traveled around the world, backpacked everywhere, and so many trips since then. And then we spent the great portion of this year traveling with Ellie at the same age. Uh, she's going to be eight in March and uh, going to do a lot of travel this upcoming year. So a lot of interesting stuff because I don't feel like Jasmine's been involved enough with the story. I feel like I'm the one always telling our story, but she has so much to share and so much to offer. And she's been my partner through it all and she's been to all these places and I'm really excited for that show for people to kind of hear that. Yeah, and Sean, stop mansplaining it all to us. Let Jasmine talk. Come exactly, on. I'm exactly. I'm looking no, forward to it too. I am yeah. really looking forward to it, joking aside. Yeah, and next year, early in the year, I have other cool things. We're gonna have John Ryan, our teenage phenom on, talking about how he got into this space and why he's a better travel hacker than me and Joe and uh, probably most of you guys out there. It's it's insane. He's a lot of fun. I love John. It's the youth, man. It's yeah. the youth. So we're going to we're going to be having shows where we talk about news and stuff like that with me and Joe, but also bringing in some other voices to talk about their expertise within the miles and points hobby. Friends of mine, some really cool people coming in early 2023. So excited for that. But in the meantime, Joe, where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? You can find me at as Joe flies all over social media. If you're looking to plan a trip, thinking of doing Disney or any other travel Email me, Joseph Chung at travelmation.net at Mation with an M. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to help you and your family plan your vacation. What about you, Sean? You're really going to miss that every time you say Travel Mation, Mark making fun of it, right? I mean, that's Yes, gotta, I'm going to miss be... the extra 
20 seconds that I always have to edit because Mark <laughs> insists on saying something about it because I will I will truly miss, and I guarantee you he's not going to listen to this episode, but I will truly miss Mark always forgetting that he makes the same jokes week after week after week after week. Yes, that, that's all part of the... All part of the fun, and a lot of it gets the cut charm, out sometimes. The charm, yeah. The charm. Sometimes it gets cut yeah, it out. Does and, get cut out because yeah. I'm like, they don't want to hear this joke again. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the face palm emoji for Joe and I every single week. For me, you can find me all over social media at Miles to Memories, Twitter, Facebook. We have our Facebook group with fifteen thousand members, and uh, we also have our Vegas YouTube hitting that hard, doing really well, Joe, on YouTube. I'm excited about all the new people that we're having. And that's really blowing up youtube.com forward slash miles to memories. And then for all of our posts, podcasts, and videos that we do, everything can be found at miles to memories.com. We're up to over 202 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So thank you to all the people who have left five star reviews in the last couple of weeks. If you listen to us on Apple, consider doing that as well. It helps us out a lot. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.